What do you think of when I say the word work? Was it joy or did something else come to your mind? Last month at Mount Hope, we did a series on rest and we took several weeks to look at what does the Bible say about rest? This time, we wanna take a look at maybe what might be the other side of that. And we wanna talk about work. What does the Bible say about work? And to be honest, one of the reasons we wanna look at this topic is because most of us spend most of our time at a place called work. Whether we're working for an employer at a job, or we are working around the house for our family. We are doing work. So what does the Bible say about work? One of the things we want to do in this series is take some time to talk to some people at Mount Hope about their work. So today we're going to talk with Justin Joseph. And many of you may know Justin from his work at Mount Hope, preaching sermons and leading classes, but that's not really your main work. Your main work is teaching students at Boston University. Would you say that you feel like a call to work and teach in the university? I mean, because a lot of times in church, we talk about calling yeah. and we talk about ministry functions or what we call kind of quote unquote ministry functions within the church walls, often on a Sunday. Yeah. How do you think about call and your work in the university? Yeah. I, th I think this is a question I've wrestled with a lot over the years. Uh, is preaching my calling or is teaching at the university my calling? And I think I keep going back to this, that I am primarily called to someone more than something. And I think of it as I'm called to God wherever I go. Mm. And whether that's in, um, in, at Mount Hope or that's here at BU, I feel like I'm called to God first and foremost. There are some specific ways I look at it, but I think what fuels me or helps, has helped me the most is Acts, uh, the book of Acts where the apostle Philip, where he's called and how does the Holy Spirit call him? He just tells him, hey, walk south is all he tells him. And Philip has this incredible encounter with an Ethiopian official and leads him to Christ and baptism and this is amazing moment. But all the Holy Spirit told him to do was walk south. And the rest was him figuring it out as he was walking. And so I look at every day as part of my calling that I leave North Reading every morning and I just drive south. And along the way, I'm interacting and constantly on call for God is what it, what, it, what it feels like. I want a student to walk out of that room on that last day of class knowing that everything I experienced about this guy over the last 13 weeks actually came from this faith. It didn't come from this place where it's his teaching skill or it's his business acumen. It was based on who he knows as his savior. I think many people that might be joining us, you know, watching this video might say, wow, teaching in a secular university as a Christian, um, that's gotta be some challenges that, especially the day and age we live in yeah. social media, you know, every hot topic, everybody looking to cancel somebody or, you know, gotcha somebody that, that must be, there must be some challenges to that. It's going to be challenging, but that challenge is where the opportunity lies because over 130 countries are on this one square mile right now. And that means I have an opportunity to reach people that I would have never had an opportunity to reach before. In fact, if I think of some of my students who have come to Christ, they never had heard of Christ before. They had likely never encountered a Christian before. And it was over the course of many interactions over years that they eventually came to find faith in Christ or at least explore it to a greater level. And so I think that's where I see the opportunity because in a world where everyone is thinking differently uh, from us as Christians, 
the Christian worldview can be very unique in that place and can start to say, hey, look, I have something that you may be looking for. And I think if I can live in such a way and speak in such a way where they're hearing that, they're more likely to be open to it too, I think. That's great. You know? That's great. Any other places where you see your faith intersecting with your work? One of, one of the things I love about this is mm -hmm. we see your gift of teaching operating within a church on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, and we often think of, when we think of gifts that God has given us, we think of, oh, how can I use them for the current gathered congregation on a Sunday? Mm -hmm. But you've been gifted as a communicator and a teacher, and that is actually your Monday to Friday. Right job and we benefit it from the church. So, so your, your gifts that the word has given you are being able to operate Monday to Friday, not just on Sunday. Yeah. I, I th that question is a great one, Pastor Rick, because I, and I think this is something we stress in base camp here in Mount Hope too. I don't see them distinctly separated right now. My situation might be very easy to picture. He speaks in front of audiences Monday through Friday. He can speak in front of an audience on Sunday. It feels like, all right, there's a natural connection there. But I say the same to any one of our, our folks in church right now who might be saying, look, I do something that has nothing to do with what happens on a pulpit on a Sunday morning, but there is deep connection to whether it's anything from how to deal with people, how to be kind and loving to someone, how to check in on a person, how to pray for someone. These are gifts that God has given the church to be utilized in ministry. And so for me personally, yes, I feel like my uh, my preaching and my teaching are completely intertwined but it's also the ways i behave too for example i go to church on sunday and you or one of our preaching team members might be talking about how to show grace or how to understand the love and the mercy of god and you'll read verses like as far as the east is from the west so far have i removed your transgressions from you and then on monday morning i'll have a student asking for an extension or a student that cheated on a test or a student that's uh, clearly using ChatGPT for their, their project. And I will look at that and I'll say, my mercy is not as far as the East is from the West. And I've got to learn to keep what I learned on Sunday to inform what I do on Monday through Friday as well. And so, so much of what we learn on a Sunday does inform my work, but it goes the other way too. That's great. Well, I appreciate the way you have thought through this aspect. And I'm hoping that this series at Mount Hope will help us to think through how our work and our faith intersect and how they really aren't compartmentalized or a separate aspect of our lives. Yeah. Thanks, Justin, for taking the time today. Thanks, God Pastor Chris. Thank you. Appreciate Justin doing that. I just wish he could have found a place with a nice view for us to do the interview. <laughs> Good to go to BU, I guess. Uh, it, was, uh, it was great uh, hearing about Justin's work, and we're going to do that throughout the series and uh, let you hear from people in their workplace. Would you uh, pray with me as we get in the word this morning? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for the gathered church this morning. We gather together where we worship you. We've done that in our songs. Uh, we gather to give, to encourage one another. We gather to receive from your word, to know how we might live, and especially as we start this new series, to know how we might work in the places where you've put us, Lord. So Lord, would you guide us, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We submit this time to you. I submit my words and to you and ask that you would guide and speak what you would have said to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
On Wednesday mornings, I have the privilege of leading our teachers and staff in our school staff in devotions on Wednesday mornings right here in this room. Uh, those of you that don't know, we do have a school here that meets Monday through Friday of hundreds of students that are in this building. And so every Wednesday morning, I get a few minutes to share with our teachers, just to kind of give them a thought, pray with them as they start their day. And usually what I'll do often is I'll either pull a, uh, something from my sermon maybe the week before or uh, something coming up, something I'm thinking about for the sermon that's coming the next Sunday. And so this past Wednesday, as we came together, I thought, you know, I'm starting this series on faith and work this Sunday, and I thought maybe this doesn't quite apply to leading our teachers in devotions on Wednesday morning. Maybe this one doesn't hit them as much because they work in a place that very naturally integrates, or hopefully, their faith and their work. I mean, they work in a place called Mount Hope Christian School. So hopefully they're talking about God. Hopefully they're in a place where they can pray with their colleagues, pray for their students. In fact, that's not only uh, that they're able to do that, they're expected to do that. And some of you might be thinking of your workplace thinking that'd be nice, right, to, to be able to integrate in that way. But as I even thought about that, I thought, you know, just because uh, there's God talk and just because uh, there may be the freedom and the ability to pray with each other doesn't mean there's an integration of faith and work. In fact, you can probably think of churches that have been in the news or maybe even Christian schools that have been in the news, that call themselves Christian, that have the word Christian in their name, but because they were in the news, it came out that their workplace or their work setting, or at least people that were there, were not operating with an integration of their faith and their work. Uh, places where people were bullied, places where abuse took place, and it's not guaranteed that just because someplace calls itself Christian, it's going to be a place where faith and work are integrated well. On the other side of that, I love watching this video and seeing Justin in a place that we would say is not very hospitable to, to prayer and God talk. In fact, maybe it's tolerated, but perhaps it's seen as a bit suspicious at best. Uh, perhaps uh, seen as something that is maybe hostile or even a fireable offense. And yet, just in thinking through, how can I integrate my faith in my work? How can I, as a Christian, find ways that these things intersect? It's a challenge uh, to find this. And we want to talk about this over these next several weeks, your faith and your work. Because like I said at the beginning of that video, most of you are spending most of your time outside of this building, someplace else. And we should find ways to integrate that. So we want to talk about a theology of work. We talked about a theology of rest in September. And for the next uh, four or five weeks, we're going to talk about a theology of work. The truth is sometimes pastors, even we aren't very helpful with this for you. One pastor, Tom Nelson, in his book, The Flourishing Pastor, said this, 
He said, many sincere and well-intentioned pastors spend the majority of their time equipping their congregations for what they do in the minority of their time, virtually ignoring the importance of everyday work and the workplaces inhabited so many hours of the week. In fact, Tom goes on to say that this is a form of pastoral malpractice. And it was actually reading that quote several months ago that made me think, you know what, this isn't something that we have done a very good job maybe highlighting and talking about at Mount Hope. Now, I, I hope that just as, again, as Justin pointed out in that video, I hope you hear something on Sunday morning that then you take into your workplace on a Monday, wherever you might be. I hope you hear some things that shape you as a person so that you as a person in that place are different. But I don't know that we have very overtly and clearly said, hey, you know what, let's just take a look at the Bible and the theology of work a little bit closer. And so we want to do that over these next several weeks because I think work can be a struggle and integrating your faith in your work can be a struggle. This can be the case for many reasons. Some of you uh, may feel like that when you leave church on Sunday and go into your workplace on a Monday that you feel like a little bit like an undercover superhero. Like you have to hide your identity a little bit. It may be you feel like Clark Kent and you're, or whatever the modern equivalent to is superhero. I know Superman. I don't know if there's others that you got to put on something to kind of hide your superhero identity. You know, you go into the workplace and you don't know, you know, they don't know that you went to church on Sunday and, or they don't know you're a Christian and you're kind of, you know, wearing, you know, covering that in a sense. You're not sure if that comes out, what's going to happen. And maybe you feel like, hey, I'd like to talk to someone about this, but, but you feel a little undercover. Maybe that's what makes it difficult. You work in a place that's not very, maybe open to it, maybe becoming more and more difficult. Perhaps you work in a place that you're having to navigate decisions, uh, maybe carry out policies or go along with things that seem to be contrary to your faith and the things that you hold dear and your values. And you're trying to figure out, how do I navigate this? And so integrating your faith and your work can maybe feel difficult because of that. Um, because the things in your workplace are, are, are having, creating a difficult place for that. Or maybe it's difficult just because work is work. <laughs> because it feels like work. Because it feels hard. It, it feels like something that gets in the way of what God would want you to do. Maybe it feels like something, you're like, I want to do all these, I'd love to go to Turkey, but i got to work. Or maybe you'd love to do something else, but you got to go to work. And maybe work just feels like a necessary evil that kind of gets in the way of other things. We want to look at work. So I want to look at a passage of Scripture as we get into this series this morning. And it's a passage where someone in Scripture, one of the authors of Scripture, was thinking about work very, uh, very deeply. In fact, you, this author was thinking about work and how do you find meaning in the work that you do. Uh, perhaps you've done that too. I <laughs> thought through your, maybe, maybe it's every Monday morning when the alarm goes off. You're like, oh, what is the point of this? 
and you're looking for meaning in it. You're looking for purpose in the midst of it. There's one author in scripture that really sought out that and thought about that uh, question very deeply. It's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 18 to 23. It's going to kind of be our jumping off point this morning. Then we're going to look at uh, another passage uh, a little later in the sermon. But I want us to look at this passage because here's what's going on in Ecclesiastes. We don't know who the author is. Uh, The author doesn't identify themselves, um, uh, calls themselves Koheleth, which is another word for teacher. But the the author is really, it's it's a form of wisdom literature in the Bible. And the author is looking at where can you find meaning in this world? And so, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the author writes and looks at things like learning and education. Uh, can you find meaning there? Is that where meaning is to be found? Pleasure and recreation, maybe that's where meaning is to be found. And then also work and vocation. Maybe that's where meaning is to be found. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 to 23, here's what Koheleth writes. It says, I hated all my toil, or some versions say work. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Or some Morrisons use the word, it's meaningless. Meaninglessness. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity or meaninglessness. Here's the writer of Ecclesiastes saying, I looked at work and I wanted to find purpose and meaning, but it came up empty essentially. I looked at it and I said, because I can work all my life and you can work hard and you can accumulate and you can be accomplished But in the end, you got to leave it to someone else, and who knows? Maybe they'll handle it well. Maybe it'll be a blessing. Maybe it'll be helpful, but maybe it'll be hurtful. Who knows what they're going to do with it? Essentially, uh, one of the expressions the author of Ecclesiastes uses is chasing the wind, that trying to find ultimate meaning in work is like chasing the wind. That you're running after the wind and you're trying to catch it, but every time you run and you try and catch it, you grab it and you come up with nothing. I don't think today, thousands of years later, we're all that much removed from still looking for purpose 
and meaning in work. And still, oftentimes, feeling like it comes up a little empty. And when that happens, I think many people in our world take one of two approaches. One, they keep searching or they search harder. It's got to be here. Like, I must just not be doing it right. I need the next position. I need the next, maybe I need to change careers. I need the next salary scale. I need the next, like, I'm just going to keep pushing. I'm going to pour myself in. There's got to be, there's got to be a place where this provides meaning and purpose. I think one of the reasons we can feel that way is because sometimes you do have a good day. I hope more than sometimes. You get a good day at work and you come home and you feel good. Like that was meaningful. There was purpose in that. I did something significant. And so sometimes we think, I just have to find a way to make every day like that. I just have to find a way so that, so that all of it feels meaningful and purposeful like that. So sometimes people will say, I'm just going to dive in. I am going to go all in till I find and feel meaningful and purposeful from my work. But there's another side I think people think. Some people say, you know what, it's meaningless, and that's all it's ever going to be. And so they take more of a hands-off approach. Instead of, you know, digging in with their hands, they say, throw their hands up and say, you know what, I'm out, forget it. There's something that came up in the last few years Uh, an expression that came up through the pandemic called quiet quitting. Anybody heard of quiet quitting? It actually uh, came up through that major uh, respected publication, TikTok. (laughs) That's where this expression has its roots. One one website I I read this week defined it this way. Uh, Quiet quitters, while definitions vary, they all agree that In quiet quitting, one does not literally quit one's job, but rather simply does the work that is expected of the position without going above and beyond what is expected. Uh, This phenomenon, first noted on TikTok, has become widespread. A recent Gallup poll, and this article was in 2022, a recent Gallup poll found that quiet quitters made up over one half of U.S. employees in the second quarter. Maybe that's changed in the year or so uh, since that's been published, but maybe not. Quiet quitting, the idea that, you know what, I'm not finding meaning and purpose in this, so I'm going to opt out. I'm going to take a pass. I'll do what I have to do, and maybe if the boss's eyes are on me, I'll do, I'll look like I'm doing a little bit more, but that's it. That's all you get. Quiet quitting. And here's the reality. When we look at this biblically, neither pouring, placing work on a pedestal to the place that you pour yourself into it looking for ultimate meaning, nor quiet quitting where you kind of pull back and don't work, give your all at it. Neither one of those are biblical ways to look at the work that we do and to look at work. Neither one of those are ways that Uh, we ought to see work as Christians. The truth is work is never going to be able to provide ultimate meaning and purpose for our lives because it was never meant to. One, your work and my work is broken. It's impacted by sin and the fall. 
It's impacted by uh, the, the, the deprivation that came into this world through sin, the depravity that came in through sin. In fact, it's interesting that work is kind of one of the ones that's called out right in the beginning in Genesis when sin enters the world. Uh, the relationships between humans is called out, is affected. Our relationships with each other, we know that. That's affected by sin. The relationships between humanity and God is called out. Like that's affected by sin. That's what Pastor Marvin was just talking about in our communion time, that God made a way to reconcile that brokenness of that relationship through Jesus. But also called out in Genesis is our relationship with creation and really work of creation. Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19 says, Cursed is the ground, God says to Adam, because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles. So those of you that have been raking up some leaves and maybe get thorns caught on your pants or gloves like I have, you can thank Adam. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you. And you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. One sense God in this past is saying work's broken. It's not, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. And you're never, I believe one of the aspects of that is that's, that's one of the reasons you're never going to find ultimate meaning and purpose in your work. It's always going to disappoint you in some way. But the other reason is that you're never, is because that's, that's a weight your work was never meant to bear. Your, the work that you do was never meant to provide the ultimate meaning in your life or the ultimate purpose in your life. Pastor Tim Keller, when he was speaking uh, uh, on MSNBC's Morning Joe show one time, he was talking about work and careers and success, and he said this, when you make your work your identity, if you're successful, it destroys you because it goes to your head. And then he says, if you're not successful, it destroys you because it goes to your heart and destroys your self-worth. That whole idea of making it your identity, of finding ultimate meaning and purpose in it. I think Pastor Keller is right. It's just not going to satisfy. You're not going to find it there. You're going to end up in the place where Koheleth was. It's just not there. It's vanity. It's meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. You go to grab it, but it doesn't satisfy. But there is meaning in work. Just because it can't provide ultimate purpose and meaning doesn't mean we should quiet quit. There is meaning in work. There's meaning in work when instead of worshiping work, you worship the one who created work. That for purpose, you go through the person of God, and then you're able to find purpose in the work that you do. There's meaning in work when instead of worshiping work, you worship the one who created work. When does your work become worship? Does it become worship when you finally talk to someone about Jesus, but up until that point it wasn't worship? Does it become worship when uh, someone asks you uh, about uh, church or God, but up until that point it wasn't worship? 
When does your work become worship? Those are places that I think are pleasing to God and certainly are, are ways to bring honor and glory to God in your workplace, but it's bigger than that. Your work is worship by who you work for and how you go about your work. Let's look at another passage of scripture, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. Verses 23 and 24 say this. Whatever you do, Paul writes, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Who you work for, you can leave that up, uh, John, leave that verse up there for a little bit. Who you work for and how you go about your work is how you bring worship into the work that you do. Paul is, if I had read the verse uh, just previous to this, here's what you'd find. Verse 22, uh, Paul is writing these words uh, to uh, class of people in the first century called bond servants, or in some translations, they'll use the word slave. This was a class of slave and bond servants that existed in the first century. And, and, and when we think about that, obviously with the history of slavery in our country and, and all that's gone on, that can be uh, problematic for us to think about and understand how Paul might speak words to you know, just work heartily as for the Lord in that situation. But we must keep in mind uh, that when we look through our lens, we have to go back to the first century. What's going on in Paul's day? Well, in Paul's day, uh, this isn't exactly a one-to-one -one correlation with chattel slavery that went on in our country, but there was, it was slavery. There was a owning of people that was certainly going on, but it was also much more so prevalent that by the Paul's day, there were, by some estimates, one out of every two people we're in a bond servant or slave situation. So you're talking half the population of people. And what would have been, I think, more hurtful is if God had nothing to say in those, to those people in that situation. Paul does say in another passage, look, if you can get your freedom in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you should get it. Like, take your freedom if you can get it. And there were ways at time for people to come out from being a bondservant and a slave, and they could come out of it. And he, Paul said, if you can get your freedom, get your freedom. But many people couldn't. And so what did God have to say to them in their situation? Paul says these words, who you work for and how you go about your work matters. It matters in the work that you do. So he says, work as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving Christ. If you heard and you listened close in that video, Justin alluded to this. He said, you know, I'm called to someone. I'm called to God. You work for God. You work for someone. You work for the Lord when you go to work. That's who you're working for and who you work for matters. Who you work for, Matt, you know, we know this is true. I was thinking about it this way. I was trying to think of an example. I was like, say you were working at uh, bagging groceries at Market Basket. Maybe that's your job. 
That was my job through high school and into college. I was bagging groceries at, at the local market basket on Trouble Cove Road in Bolica. That was, that's where I was. And you bag your groceries and you do a good job and you do well and you, and you do, now suppose you're, you're bagging groceries one day and you do it so well that Arthur T. DeMoulis walks into the store. If you work at Market Basket, you know who Arthur T. DeMoulis is. Actually, if you were just around this area in 2014, you know who Arthur T. DeMoulis was because it was a huge news story when they went, all the Market Basket people went on strike. Remember that? They all went on strike. We all had the shop at Hannaford's or stop and y'all found new, we all found new grocery stores if you were a Market Basket shopper. And, uh, and the, this family, whatever, uh, back and forth between billionaires on who was going to control Market Basket. And Arthur T. DeMoulis ended up with the controlling stake Suppose he walked into the store and said, I heard you got the best bagger in all the Market Basket stores. And I want to see this person bag my groceries. And he came to your line. And he puts on his groceries on the, on the register. And they start going through. And the cashier is, you know, uh, running them through. But he's not paying attention to the cashier. He's watching you as you bag the groceries. Now, I guarantee you in that moment, you are going to be real careful not to put a case of soda on top of a loaf of bread. And you are going to make sure those eggs are separate so he knows exactly where his eggs are so they don't get thrown around, right? And you are going to keep those household chemicals apart from the rest of the groceries. And you are going to ask him, would you like your chicken in a separate bag, right? All these things that you wish people who are bagging your groceries would do for you. But you're going you're gonna to do all that. Why? Because who you're working for matters in that moment. All Paul is saying is that every time you go to work, every minute you're there, you're not working for the person whose name is at the bottom right of your check. You're not working for even the people that are in front of you if you're in a customer service or uh, industry or a patient. You're working for God. You're serving Christ. And so you, the, who you work for matters. And you and I need to connect the work that we do to serving God, to worship unto him. That I am doing this in the way that Christ would do it if he were doing it right now in my place. That this is how my work matters. How would Christ serve this person? How would Christ have this phone call, run this meeting? What would Jesus uh, do in this situation? Your work matters and who you're working for matters. How you go about your work also matters. You got to work in a way that honors God. And some of that's difficult. Like I said, some of you are working in places that you feel like you're being put in situations that some of the things you're being asked to do is dishonoring to God. Or maybe you're being tempted to take a job that you feel like the job itself might not be something that's honoring to God. Work is worship when you do work that does not dishonor the Lord in a way that honors God. So how you go about your work matters. It's interesting to me that when you look at business books and things that come out, that many times 
when people do research and they delve into what really is good business, that many times they'll come back to actually things that as Christians ought to be very familiar to us. Let me give you two examples uh, of how you work and how we, some of the leadership books that come out. One is Jim Collins, Good to Great. Some of you have read this book. Jim Collins' book that came out several years ago, Good to Great, had five years of research that went into it and 21 research associates to conclude that a level five leader, that is they look at the different levels of leader, the top, the best, most strategic and influential leaders they call it, are leaders who are humble and give themselves to the mission before them and the mission that's bigger than themselves, that this is a level five leader. Sound like anyone you know? Might be humble and put the mission before them. That I think Jesus was a level five leader. And but how you work? Let me. I'll come back to that in a second. Let me give you a second example. Peter Senge, Senge and his work on learning organizations and learning teams at MIT and the Sloan School at MIT put out a book many years back called The Fifth Discipline. And in the fifth discipline, in the systems uh, aspects of everything uh, Senge and his team looked at, one of the things they found is that good learning organizations are willing to change. In fact, more than willing to change, good learning organizations are willing to course correct where they have made a mistake and they're willing to admit it and change course. And when he was looking for a word to describe what this was, he could find no better word than the Greek word metanoia. That's the word he fell upon, their team fell upon, metanoia. Interesting that metanoia, that Greek word, is used over 50 times in the New Testament. And almost every time it's translated repentance. To turn from your direction that you're going, to repent and to go in a direction that you know is a better direction. Um, a lot of time and money and paper perhaps could have been saved saying just Jesus is right. <laughs> That's not to undercut all the work. I don't want to make light of that. I think this is important stuff. But here's the point I'm making. If Jim Collins never discovered it, if Peter Senge never put out this book, you and I as Christians are still called to work in a way that looks like Jesus. You and I, the way that we work with humility, with, with self-sacrifice, putting a mission first, put it with, with looking at it so that we give credit to others and we take responsibility on ourselves, as Colin says a level five leader does, how we work should be a cruciform. It should look like the cross. It should look like Jesus. And how he led is how you as a Christian are also supposed to lead. See, I, what I'm trying to get at is it's so much more than just not stealing pencils from work. Like, don't steal pencils from work just because you're a good human. But live a cruciform life where you are serving others because Jesus said, how I have served you, now you go and serve each other. You follow this example. That this is not something he just gave us for Sunday worship for an hour and a half, but he gave it so that we might live the rest of our lives in this way. 
And if Singy never discovered that repentance and admitting you're wrong and making a course correction is helpful in a learning organization, you and I as Christians still ought to live our lives and work with the people around us with the willingness to say, you know what, guys? I think I made a mistake here. And we need to change this. And we need to go a different direction. We need to repent of what we did. We need to change because this is a better direction. And this is more important than me just perhaps looking bad that I made a bad decision. Because the mission of the organization that we're a part of demands this. What we're trying to get to. This is what it is in one way to integrate our faith and our work. It's to live our lives in ways that look like Jesus. It's to bring repentance to our work. It's to bring sacrifice and servanthood to our work. So that the way we work looks a little like Jesus might look if he were doing the work that we are doing. And I believe when we do this, when we find out, when we recognize that our work is worship, we connect it to God, who we work for and how we work, that then we are able to find the joy that God would want us to find in our work because it's not the ultimate meaning or purpose for our lives. It is an outflow of the God that we worship. It is an outflow of our, of our lives in God. And then we can find purpose, and joy in the work that we do. Last thing I'll say on this is this. There's a temptation to compartmentalize what we do on Sundays here in this room and what you're about to do perhaps tonight as you go to a workplace or tomorrow as you walk into a workplace. That compartmentalization is not scriptural, is not biblical. We are to be integrated people that take the lives that God calls us to live and to live them with integrity in the places that we spend most of our time. Your work is worship. So here's where we're going for the rest of the series. Let me just show you. So this was a bit of an introduction this morning. Next week, uh, James Gerard is going to share with us on why your work is a blessing from God and not a curse. That's where we're going. The week after that, November 19th, we actually have a guest, uh, Dr. Steve Machia. Uh, if you recognize that name, it is Nate's dad. Those of you that know Nate Machia. He leads the Leadership Transformations Institute and uh, has leads a lot of other things and wrote a lot of books. But one book he wrote uh, that came out last year that I just loved and I've asked him to come and speak on is called The Discerning Life, An Invitation to Notice God in Everything. And I think that's going to fit right in with our work-life integration, uh, work-faith integration series. So he's going to be here on the 19th and share on that. November 26th, Justin Joseph's going to be sharing on the gift of work part two, how your work participates in God's redeeming work. And then December 3rd, I'll close out the series with the hope for work, why your work has eternal significance. So that's where we're going um, with the rest of our series. Um, here's what I, I want to I want to give you a quote and then something to pray and then a way to pray as we close out our service. Here's a quote. One of the quote I want to give us um, that I think captures much of what this passage in Colossians Paul was saying. I thought Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in this speech six months before he was assassinated at Barrett Junior High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, gave a speech. And he said this, 
part of that speech. And when you discover what you will be in your life, set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. Don't just set out to do a good job. Set out to do such a good job that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metropolitan Opera. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. I think that captures what Paul was saying and what the Lord would say to us, the cautions. Wherever God has put you, Remember, you are working for God Almighty. And how you go about your work ought to look like Jesus. The end of that Tim Keller quote, Tim says this. Yes, if you, success will destroy you if you're looking for ultimate meaning. And, and lack of success will destroy you. But then he says, faith in Christ gives you an identity that is not in work or accomplishment. And that gives you insulation against the weather changes. If you're successful, you stay humble. If you're not successful, you have some ballast. Work is a great thing when it is a servant instead of a Lord. That's what it is. Yes, work at time can be fulfilling, but no, it can never provide the ultimate fulfillment. Jesus alone and our connection to God, when we have those things in order, and we have God as the one who provides our ultimate meaning, then we are able to find the fulfillment in the work that God has given to us, no matter what that is and where that is. So I'm looking forward to the rest of this series. Let's close out in some prayer. The team's going to play a bit, but as they do, before you join them in singing, would you spend a few minutes in prayer? Here's some prayer prompts for us as we respond to the message. Pray for those you work with. Co-workers, colleagues, classmates. When's the last time you prayed for those you work with by name? Pray for them by name right now in, in just these minutes. Pray for those you work for. Your boss, teachers, family you care for. Ask God to reveal what it would look like for you to rely on him more in your work. I didn't say too much about this, but, but let me just say this. God has given you his Holy Spirit, not simply for Sunday worship, but for Monday through Friday work. To be able to do that, to give you the wisdom and the ability to be able to carry out what he gave you for the rest of the week. He gave you his Holy Spirit for that. Holy Spirit isn't something just so you and I come in this room on, on Sunday and feel good about, you know, what we're singing together. It's the power of God within you to do your work. If you're looking for work, ask God to provide. Here's the time to pray for that. If you're retired, pray for the work that God still has for you to do. Maybe you're not getting a paycheck from someone who's telling you to work, but you've got work to do. You've got something God wants you to do. The truth is, oftentimes we leave here on a Sunday afternoon, a Sunday at this time, and we don't take as much time to think and pray about what you're probably going to do for the next 40, 50, 60, sometimes more hours of your week. 
So let's take a little space. It's right and good to ask God and just lay this before God. Lay our work before Him. Lay the people we work with before Him. Maybe, as you look back on this past week, maybe that word repentance is something you need to go to in this time. Maybe there's something you need to repent of. Maybe there's something you need to ask forgiveness. Maybe there's a course correction you need to make. Maybe there's a place you didn't show humility where you should have. Let's take a few moments to pray about our work because our work matters.